Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic is preparing for major cyber events. So our world, we already know and living it in this interesting world of COVID. And we also can feel that while it has been a health crisis and a financial crisis, it could very quickly become a security crisis, which is a major cyber event could very well follow. So when we look at organizations, while they're dealing with the decentralization of their workforce or the way they do business, even their business models, but what are they doing with the level of crisis preparedness, the escalation processes and related communication and business strategies that will allow the organizations to handle such cyber events in the event they occur. So to discuss this, I have with me Don Cox. Don is the Chief Information Security Officer with Mednax. Hey, Don, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, sir. So uh, let's first set the context. So major cyber event, if I was in my company, anything which could have a material disruption to my business, I would call it major. But if you were to set, say, a common ground or a common denominator, what would you call as a major cyber event? Um, One would be uh, the inability to access the data that your organization needs. Um, So, you know, if it's healthcare, it would be patient information. If it's financial, it would be, um, you know, your financial information. If it's the airlines, it would be their ticketing system. So it's it's the data. That would be for uh, number one. And then, you know, two, it would be the, uh, when you talk about e-commerce, the applications, that people use in order to to purchase products. So in an e-commerce uh, environment, if they weren't able to get to the data which displays um, the products that they're trying to sell or availability, um, shipping information, that would, to me would be catastrophic for those businesses. So essentially anything which is in the critical path to, to them creating value for their customers, whether it's internal or external, is that a good way to generalize it across the industries? Yeah, perfectly summed up, yes. Okay, so now do you think there should be a threshold which when crossed and across industries, across companies, that's when we should call it major cyber event and that's where your different set of strategies should kick in or any event which comes close to it, we should flip and start going in that major um, you know, cyber event mode. What would be a threshold that you will take? Yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant. Standard. Yeah, I'm hesitant to say a standard across the everything. Um, different companies can withstand different act, act, activities or you know different um, uh, intrusions and and still function and continue their business. Um, so I, I would be kind of hesitant to say across the board. I think each each industry each group needs to be looked at differently. Uh, the size of the organization takes into consideration the data that they have. So suppose we take your organization, right? So let's let's not grossly generalize anything. So in your organization, I'm sure you handle security issues day in, day out. Mm-hmm. So life is usual. 
you have some or the other thing happening which could cause disruption or it looks like it's impending, so you want to kill it before it happens. So all of that is business as usual for you. But then what would you consider as something which has gone beyond a certain threshold for you to pull out your SWAT team approach to handling something that major? Sure. So if it was a denial of service attack where, you know, in healthcare where the physicians and clinicians can't get access to the patient information. Um, if you found out that uh, your data was being, your, your patient data, your, your financial records were being exfiltrated from the organization. To me, that would be a, a major incident that you would have to deal with. And could such a disruption be caused by something outside of cyber? Because we are very carefully and very exclusively qualifying this topic around a cyber event. Because a data center could go down, but not necessarily due to a cyber attack. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yes. Yeah, so, so how would you isolate? So you cannot, we cannot jump to a conclusion that anything that gets disrupted is because someone has a malintent. Correct. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, in this conversation, are, are we using the word cyber event to include those that are um, uh, hardware failures um, or, or are we just talking like security related events? So when we say cyber, essentially you're talking about anything which is um, caused due to any online disruption. Mm-hmm. If you were to go and make it like a cyber security event. Mm-hmm. or a cyber event in the context of a security-related intrusion. What would that be? Since you're the chief information security officer, you would be looked at as someone who's going to reveal or rather go investigate and say, why did this even happen? And in the cyber world, we could have a lot of things happen. Something goes down, which could be an infrastructure and operations issue. But then many times it comes down because of a potential security issue. But for that, you have to go do, do some digging. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, so it's, it's from the onset of, you know, what is it that can't be done? And then from there, start, start the troubleshooting, right? Is it, um, to your point, is it a hardware failure? Is there a network outage that you can't control a piece of equipment uh, and the network that went down? Um, you know, back to, is it a denial of service attack that's either being done on purpose or on accident? Um, and then, you know, flip to the, the other side with the cybersecurity event, did somebody's credentials get compromised? Um, is there an insider that's exfiltrating data um, from, from the environment? Is there an insider that's causing um, or deleting servers or doing something inside the, that side the environment that's causing resources not to be available? Given the way we have been creating our technology infrastructure, our authorization, et cetera, I think if you were to look a couple of decades ago, we may not have a clue. But nowadays, we have a lot of safeguards in place, hopefully, for an organization as mature as yours, that if something happens, it at least immediately gives us, first of all, a warning that something like this has started to happen. So you can plug hole before the damage goes too big, you know, more out of control. Mm-hmm. Or even otherwise, you will invariably come to know that this was done and trace it back to people who ended up who were either responsible or were used as a channel. Mm-hmm. So do you think, now this is me sitting outside from the cybersecurity world. 
Yes. So, so what's the what's the scoop really? <laughs> Can you it, really always claim that you will know and trace it back to the one who had the malintent or whatever the reason why this happened? The answer is no. Um, and, and this is not just the organization I'm specifically in now. I can draw from many other experiences in past companies. Um, organizations don't know enough about their environment. They don't know what's in their environment. Um, operating, uh, you, you, the term um, that was used in the plat shadow IT, you know, that can have an impact on your network. You didn't know about it and it's causing a problem. Um, there could have been a, a a Microsoft patch that was pushed and took something down. Uh, you, you could actually have development, in-house development that caused something to go down. And you're, if a user calls in and says they're having a problem, um, you know, one of the first things you do, okay, what changed for that particular application? Let's go and see if there is a change control process. Does the organization even have a change control process? Do they know what changes were made? So no, it's, it's not every organization that you're able to trace it back to what um, could have caused it. If you took it to take a look at the IT, you know, persona, right? That whole, whole uh, chain of command. They are of course paid to keep things humming, keep things going on a regular basis, but they typically are not trained over the years to go do big time investigation like security. So, would you go and do that job for them if it turns out that it's an infrastructure and operations issue? Because it's a cyber event, we don't know yet, but somebody has to figure out where this thing went. So in an organization, it's, it's going to be, um, depending on the size of the organization, it's gonna be depending upon um, the, um, the, the, what you're seeing happening and, you know, it could be the security engineers because, um, you know, so in organizations, typically people start out at the service desk, they go over to network operations, um, they may go to infrastructure, and then they'll bounce over to security because they really like that. So they'll have some knowledge. Um, but really in an organization, it's going to be kind of a, a com combined, um, open up a, a collaboration method. So either open up a, a Teams channel or open up a conference line and everybody gets on and starts talking about what they're seeing and, and, and what's happening and then you know, kind of walking towards resolution from there. Would you say that we have come at least a little farther than what it used to be the, the you know, earlier days when we were, like you said, we get on a Teams channel and we start talking, yeah? Which is having a discussion to see where to start. Have you gone beyond the, the Wild West approach to digging into and converted ourselves into a more systemized approach to, you know, looking at the, the challenges, have a very quick process of elimination of removing things which should not be looked at and start very quickly getting into the areas where we should focus. And as a result, the time to value of uncovering what could have happened is reduced. Are yes. we there yet? Yes, we are. There's there's products out there. Uh, Splunk is a very good example. Um, pulling in data from multiple sources and and its ability to help um, detect anomalies based upon questions answer and kind of get you right to the point of failure and or alert you um, on a failure or if a failure is going to happen. So yeah, there's technologies out there that could do that. 
So is this still a problem left to be solved in this domain? Because we we still get people fired. We still see people down their websites or any other, you know, online mechanisms they have to serve or reach out to their customers down and somebody's getting fired. Yeah, it's it's still a problem we have to deal with. And, And for the reason you just said, it's still happening, right? So companies either don't have the money or or the decisions made not to invest the money into that technology they don't there's no return on investment um, i'd rather spend a million dollars on a product that um, is customer facing and can generate revenue than on a product that would tell me my system's about to go down because i know it'll take 10 minutes for the system to come back up again so um, it's, it's that risk versus reward conversation that happens a lot Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, let's talk about the different areas in which, in typical disaster recovery scenario, right? When we are looking at disaster recovery, we have a way to test something. And and we know it's going to be down. So uh, this is what we will do. And we could literally pull the plug. But if it's a cyber event, we are always on. And I'm not sure the CEO would like the idea that I'm going to bring down my e-commerce site or my healthcare data availability for two hours to see how the different stakeholders, the users will react. How do you handle it? And if that's not available as a way to test that pull the plug test in this cyber event context, how could ever we be fully prepared? And if this is not possible, What's a happy medium? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Don, disaster recovery in our regular business and business continuity plans we build, we do disaster recovery and we can do a pull the plug test and maybe build some sort of, a, uh, you know, capability in our non-technology, non-security users to be able to deal with things when they happen. But frankly, in cyber events, we do not seem to have a recourse unless otherwise you can enlighten us on that. And if we don't have them, then how do we be? fully prepared? Can we be fully prepared? And if none of those are options, then what is? So I'd say, can we be fully prepared? The answer is no. Um, And I think this was like either, you know, a Mike Tyson statement or a Norman Schwarzkopf statement. You know, once the first punch is thrown, the plan is out the window or, you know, once the first bullet shot. So I don't think you can ever be fully prepared because I don't think, I don't think two events are the same. Um, but in, in saying that, yes, you can plan for an event to happen. You can train for an event to happen and then build some kind of muscle memory. 
There are also a number of capabilities out there today that are actually doing very good at simulating events. Um, you know, they call uh, some of them are called cyber ranges, um, where you can actually mimic a um, an outage or a DDoS attack, and and then watch how how your uh, your employees can um, navigate, uh, can troubleshoot, can you know identify where the um, uh, the problems are coming from and then rectify them. So if you just have the tools, like you again mentioned, it's a tool, but frankly, in many of these situations, people are the ones who could become the bottleneck. People who have, um, first of all, they don't have the intent of messing up with their day. They're not getting paid to do this either. But yeah, mm-hmm. they understand the boss said so, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Would they really, when you're doing such so-called pull-the-plug tests or the tool-driven uh, type of simulations is the people who lose it when the real thing happens because they feel either their job is at stake or something else similar, which will create that anxiety, which will make them not do the things they would do when they were sane. How do you deal well, with that? Yeah, that's very true. So it, how do you deal with it? It's culture. Um, as a leader, you have to, you have to, to, the onus has to be on your back. You have to say that if we fail, if we're breached, you know, something's accessed, it's, it's on me because I either didn't give you the tools, I didn't give you the training, I didn't give you the staff you need in order to be successful. So, you know, you tell everybody, as long as you're doing your best um, and, and you're, you're, uh, you're going to be protected, covered, and we just need you to focus and, and remediate the, uh, the event um, and, and get us back to uh, being protected again. So it really comes down to, to developing that culture. Now, having a dry run exercises, simulations, um, those are all necessary. Sending people to training for different things, having people um, that, that have certified in certain areas to help, those are all uh, exceptional as well. Um, there might be some simulation tests you can run, right? You have a development environment, so why not use your development environment and simulate some activities? Hire an outside third party to come in and, and set up some simulations and, um, and run those, uh, your people across those in a development environment, or maybe hire a company that has an environment that you can, you can play in, uh, like I was talking about those cyber ranges. So one is to, of course, get people on board. And, and as you mentioned, the culture and assuming that the culture at least looks good and people mm-hmm. are willing to do that. Mm-hmm. We still have to come up with rather exhaustive checklist, which has the obvious things which most people talk about in the disaster recovery world or things you got to kind of uh, check in that checklist. But then there are certain things which comes from experience, which you may know, which are not as obvious, the to-dos are the things to look for, some gotchas or the pitfalls that you have to watch out for when you're preparing for a major cyber event. What would those be? Yeah, so I'll give you a great example, right? Here's a story. So um, I was working with a federal government agency, um, and we started to receive phone calls from our customers saying that they couldn't access their file shares couldn't access their email. Um, so we began to investigate. And at the time, we had one of the $2.5 million um, sand sharks that were supposed to uh, never go down and, and always work um, in, in our data center. And we found out that the, the sand wasn't functioning. And 
you know, scenario where we bought the third party um, help instead of the, uh, the company that sold us to it help. Um, but luckily we, we got the, a person that had worked um, with the Sandshark organization before um, he had joined on the third party. So he comes in and realizes limitations and he says, yeah, I, I don't know how to fix this. When they finally came in to fix it, um, they found out that it was a patch that we didn't apply um, and there was a heat sink that fell off. But one of the things we learned um, from that entire event, right, was one, maybe don't pay for the cheap um, uh, services that come with it. But two, the thing that we learned was we lost all communications. We couldn't email each other anymore. Our phones didn't work. So we were just dead in the water trying to communicate until somebody realized that our Blackberries had PIN numbers in them and you can actually call somebody with uh, their PIN number. So we had to run around and get everybody's PIN um, and create a list instead of trying to create a list of phone numbers. So it's, it's things like that where we, we, we looked at the book, we, we exercised, we, we researched everything, but the event happened and yeah, we had no idea we were going to lose um, the ability to communicate with each other. So that means improvisation is going to always be required because you never know what's going to surface. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to, you know, that's the, the cornerstone of, of any IT professional is, is thinking outside the box, right? Not settling for, you know, it can either be A, B or C. Well, what about D, E, F, G, H, I? And just keep thinking of ways to be successful. And when such a major event happens and, not everything can be solved within days or even hours, right? Something could be long tail. We hope not, but that could happen. What's the management's benchmark that if we are to be prepared, we got to be able to prepare ourselves with some sort of an internal SLA that if we have a major cyber event, we should be able to get to the status before the event within these many days or at least the minimum viable product type of level, like, you know, that minimal level of viability, we should restore within, say, four hours. Is there something which is very company-specific or is this a benchmark or a standard even established for something which is a major, which could come in different shapes and sizes? We do not know if we can even put our name on the line to say, oh, I'll get it done to the minimum viable level in four hours and, and, and fully restore in two, two days, otherwise you fire me. Yeah, so this is where organizations fail. Um, there's a terms out there these days, RPO and RTO times, right? Recovery point objective and recovery time objective, right? So, you know, you, you have to, organizations that are, that they're gonna have to sit down and they're gonna have to look at what are their high value assets? What are the things that the organization must have in order to continue business? Then you're gonna have to sit down and evaluate how they're protected and how they're backed up and what is their redundancy plans, right? Do we need high availability? Um, so the old five nines, six nines, seven nines kind of capabilities. Or um, do we have the ability to have a hot site and a warm site or can we have a hot site and a cold site? Um, another example that I have is I was with an organization where we were billing $500,000 every 15 minutes. So that was our benchmark that the moment we hit, if we couldn't get it fixed within 15 minutes, we had to switch over to our, um, our offsite and start operating out of there because um, we would start losing $500,000 know, every 15 minutes. 
So I think it's, it's, you have to look at one, you know, what's the brand impact to the organization? What's the revenue impact to the organization? Um, you know, how long can you stay down? Some companies can stay down longer. And, uh, and then from there you go back and you build those tables with the recovery point and the recovery time objectives. And then you invest, um, in technologies that help you maintain those levels. Now, you know, there's always the event that's un, unplanned for and natural disasters and, you know, a truck drives through your door or those things you can't plan for. Um, but it's something that you should, you should consider. What, what do we do if, if something happens and we can't continue to work in this building? So you mentioned about, you know, if, if, if such an event happens, then you wait for 15 minutes or less or move to offsite which is assuming that you could totally keep a parallel warm site or hot site running, which is totally isolated with this current one and whatever caused this main primary site to go down is, has not at all impacted that parallel run that you were having. Are we that clean in our systems and processes and the way we run, run our shops that you could do this? I would say no. I mean, it's from organization to organization, it's going to differ. Some are going to be more mature. They've, they've hired the right people, whether, you know, they brought them in-house or outsourced and they've created capabilities that will protect them. Um, you know, specifically like ransomware is a, is a good example. Um, I used to be a, um, a detective and I investigated fraud and computer crimes um, events years ago. And we would get called in all the time uh, for events where they didn't call them ransomware back when I was doing it, but where, you know, viruses and they would shut down computers and, and take, take things hostages. Um, but we, we would come in and, and we'd say, okay, so we're not going to be able to resolve this for you. You know, you're going to have to go back to your tapes or whatever you have and, and restore and, and, and get back up and running again. So companies need to think about it. They need to have plans in place. Um, but I, across the board, I don't think everybody's doing it. Uh, effectively. Now, now let's look at the aspect of cybersecurity. As I mentioned, that most of the times when any of these things happen, which you cannot easily explain, first hunch is that, hey, it has to be a hack attack or something where someone has malintent and they came through the cyber and they wanted to take it down, which means um, your organization, the CISO's organization, is the one on the spotlight. But at the same time, I've spoken and interviewed and facilitated discussions with quite a few CISOs. And frankly, when budget comes and resources come, that's actually a sore issue with them. When you have this much riding and you're supposed to, and your organization's supposed to deliver on Something where, as in you said, like in 15 minutes, you can s start losing 50, whatever, $500,000. Then why this tug of war for resources? And if you needed the support and resources, how would you define that resource set or support mechanism, which will allow you to front end these crises and deliver successfully? So... There's always the there's always the give and take between um, needs and wants. Um, I think for one, organizations are 
now starting to see the importance of cybersecurity to their longevity and success. So they're removing the budget for security from the CIO's budget and they're creating independencies um, and, and justifying budget needs based upon what the organization needs to be successful. Um, absent that, it's really a, a conversation about probability, right? So back to risk, the probability of event occurring and if that event occurs, right, what's the damages? Um, and then, because you only have a finite bucket of, of money and, and organizations are just, they have to assume some risk somewhere, you either deal with the risk with insurance or, or transfer the risk to somebody else um, by, uh, you know, buying their capability. Um, so once you've I- identified where the risk is in the organization, and then you go down that process of trying to put compensating controls in to mitigate it, um, eventually you're going to get to a point where the money's going to run out, your staff's knowledge is going to run out, and then a decision has to be made to, you know, how do we go forward with doing this? Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back uh, and, and talk about the set of things which you would still need. So granted, if the the executive management is understanding and appreciative of what cybersecurity group does, gives them the right budget. But at an organization level, the whole organizational level, what kind of support and resources should be offered? Who should be front-ending or who should take the main ownership and responsibility of dealing with a major event and seeing it to resolution. Please stay tuned, we'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Don, besides budget, if you were to build a repository or, I would say, longer checklist and or request sheet, where you would say, this is the things you give me, Mr. Business Executive Management, I'll be able to see it through. And with that, I'm assuming that you are taking the lead as a cyber, like a CISO or, or a security leader within the organization. But if it's a cyber event, who should truly take ownership? Shouldn't it, that be you anyways? Or would you say, let's CIO front end and you come beside them? What kind of structure would you make and then what resources and support would you like to have? Like a charter. If I had to build a major a major cyber event intervention charter, what should that look like? Yeah, so it's, it's really going to depend upon the size of your organization, the resources available. Um, but let's just take a, a large organization. Yes, the CISO should own the event if it's determined that it is cybersecurity related. If it's cyber related, then the CIO should own it um, and or the CTO, whichever, um, you know, is designated. So in a, in a cybersecurity event, 
Um, you're going to follow, you know, NIST, National Institutes of Standards and Technologies, has a very good incident response plan. Um, I've been in the federal government working for a number of years and so very familiar with it. Um, and it lays out step-by-step you know, -step criteria for declaring an event and whether the event is um, a high event or you know, critical. And, and then it goes down into who should be notified and, and when that person should be notified. So all these things need to be documented uh, and trained on ahead of time. Um, and then print it out and put in paper and stored someplace just in case your sand shark goes down and, and you need to refer to it um, so you can get to it. And so um, even within like the CISO owning it, the CISO needs to remove themselves from the actual the incident response. So they need to create, and, and I've created in past organizations in this one, what's called a, a CERT team, right? So it'd be a computer incidents response team. And that team is made up of individuals from each one of the different specialties within an IT organization so that you can actually, you know, almost like a, a SWAT team or, you know, some special forces team, they have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to go and deal with this event, whether it's a um, you know, cybersecurity, it's a breach, and, and how do we um, block the IPs, the firewalls, um, if the person's inside, you'll get rid of their access. And then that person then communicates back up through the CISO on details, what's going on. The CISO then reports to the executive staff. So you're going to need to have media involved. You're going to need to have legal involved. You're going to need to have um, you know, a representative from the CEO's office involved. Uh, you might have to have HR involved because it may deal with HR. So you have to have all that planned, documented, mapped out, and trained on, um, or at least, you know, people read it uh, for you to be successful when you move forward. Now, with that said, would you say anything that could create a confusion? So one is that you've laid out a playbook. This is what we should do. But where can the confusions occur? What are those dark areas or blind spots? Which where where most people uh, lose their their focus and or get frustrated or there's a lot of leakage or things don't get done. Yeah, so the organizations I've been in the past, it's it's become almost a fist fight. You know, it's people become very protective over their environments and they don't want to be known as the reason why something failed. And whenever I go into organizations, either as a CIO. Um, role or a CISO role, I sit all of my leadership team down and I tell them, there can't be any finger pointing in this organization. Today, it's going to be you. Tomorrow, it's going to be you. The next day, it's going to be you. And the next day, it's going to be you. So go into each one of these events knowing that you're going to get the support from each other. No one's going to be criticized or chastised. We just need to come to a resolution on it as quickly as we can for the best interest of the company. Um, so that's how I approach it. And then, um, but that said, you still have individuals that say, you know, not mine, not mine, not mine. Uh, I didn't cause it. I didn't do it. It's this product over here. Um, just, you know, famously, there's a, an awesome product called Carbon, block, uh, Carbon Black. I'm just so used to saying the other word. It was referred to as Carbon Block for a long time because it was always stopping processes. But really, it came down to people didn't know what it was supposed to do. So everything, every time something went wrong in the environment, they would just automatically point to security, say they did it. And then security would have to go troubleshoot it and say, not on any of our tools. Um, so you know, but we think it's this one over here. So sometimes you lose that troubleshooting 
um, when when you start finger pointing at individuals, and you really have to get the teams to work through all of that. So, if you were to go in as a consultant, yes, you will tell them no finger pointing. But frankly, because you tell them, they're not going to listen. True. So that's where the the team training comes in, right? You, you have to you have to get these individuals that work together kind of on a personal level, personal basis. Give them. Um, something more than that's just Johnny or Sally that works over in network operations. You know, they need to cross train together. You need to do some team building together. Um, you need to have exercises where um, they're given a problem and, you know, how do you resolve it to kind of give them some examples and knowledge. Um, you might also get your senior people to talk to the junior people and give them some some lessons um, or some knowledge about past experiences, some things they've seen fail and some things they seen be successful in. Hopefully, you can do, use that peer mentality to, to make the organization better. So just because it's such a major event, right? That's why we are qualifying this to be a major cyber event. Does that have any influence on the gravity that is felt by all people? And the people who otherwise would say, yeah, yeah, it's not my thing, so you deal with it. They know now their job, their ability to deliver value, all of that is at stake, and they better come on board and all hands on deck. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely, uh, and I honestly, I did miss the first part of your question there, but um, I hope I'm answering this one correctly. Yeah. There needs to be a conversation on, we, we can't, we can't have this behavior. We can't act this way. It's um, you know, if the organization fails because we didn't come together as a team and, um, and, and, we're able to, to rectify this, then we've let you know the rest of the organization down. People don't have jobs, go out of business, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I was referring to maybe since you didn't hear the first part, what I was trying to differentiate is one is a major cyber event, right? <laughs> you get a lot of cyber events happening all the time, right? A different degree. Yes. But when it's a major one, do you change your approach to how do you deal with it? Because at that time, if anyone is finger pointing, hmm. frankly, the person knows they are on their way out. Because the company is hurting yeah, big time. I, uh, no, I, I think you deal with the, the little ones ju just in the same manner that you deal with the big ones, right? When employees like consistency. They, they like the fact that you know, if it's a, it's a, if it's a, a minimal cyber event um, and, and whether it's a minimal cybersecurity event, that their leadership is going to be even keeled. Um, they're going to be openly communicative. They're, they're not going to be yelling and screaming at people and, and they're going to be um, helpful and, and, and trying to give the, the team the things that they need to be successful. So that's going to build that trust between the two. If you are a person when there's a serious event, um, cyber event, cybersecurity event, which could lead to loss of money. And you're going to start yelling, screaming, and people are going to get defensive and they're going to be like, I don't want to go out on a limb and try to help out because it could be me that loses my job if I point out what caused the problem or if it was me that caused the problem. So I think as leaders, you need to be very consistent in how you handle um, situations. And, it, and for me, it's always handling them with, um, you know, a leader being calm, cool, collected, uh, and, and um, you know, very careful about how they communicate with their team. 
Now, you did mention about the muscle memory that you send people for training, let them come and uh, do the things that they're supposed to, uh, maybe simulate scenarios so that they are able to behave the way you expect. But you know what? People don't do what you expect. People do what you inspect. Is there a way to test them? And I know we spoke about pull the plug test is not that easy. How, what have you seen in your experience? The people, the way they behave, the way this whole thing was carried out or restoring to normalcy, if a major cyber event was simulated versus an actual happening, I hope you have not had to deal with this major cyber event. But if you did, what was the gap that you found? Yeah, so I have. I, I you know, back to my days as a, as a law enforcement officer detective and investigating computer crimes, I've, I've been inside of Fortune 100 and 500 companies that you know, are losing you know, millions of dollars a day in revenue. Um, and they're just trying to get it down to like under 200,000 is, you know, before they kick everybody out and, and go from there. So um, I've been involved in a lot of those, those activities. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's really going to come down to the people that you have on your team. And, and both uh, people internal to the organization and people external. That's, that's one thing I didn't talk about when we've been having this conversation is um, not relying just on the resources that you have in-house. You're going to have to create relationships, partnerships with your vendors um, for the different products. And you're going to have to get them involved in your, your process of troubleshooting recovery uh, along the way. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And... We spoke about the people side a little bit, how an individual who did not sign up when they joined the company that I'll have to deal with all this and I'll have to be part of it. So yeah, at leadership level, you get it, that it's a responsibility and you come with that mindset. But if that administrative assistant who just came to help schedule stuff and you're saying you have to be custodian of the data that you create, you're supposed to make sure that you are behaving in a responsible manner where it does not hurt uh, our organization. And if there is a cyber event, this is how you're going to change your behavior or the way you used to do uh, the things when the business was normal. They may say, yes, I'm going to do it, but there will be a delta. How do you minimize that delta? How do you get them to become alert or rather stay alert. And if something like this happens, they immediately switch to the desired state of how they operate. Just because training you do, that doesn't motivate people. Training doesn't motivate people. What will? So I guess, um, you know, you can go to the one extreme and say that, uh, you know, your supervisor HR will be involved and, and there'll be some kind of retraining. There'll be some kind of remedial action and or, you know, you'll be disciplined and which can include up to, you know, being uh, terminated from the organization, right? That's the, that's the one side. Um, the other side is to sit down with the individual and, and, and maybe some one-on-one training. Um, do you understand what's being asked of you? Um, have you ever had any experience with what's being asked of you? Can we create some opportunity for you to practice uh, what we're asking or expecting of you? And then it's also sitting with that individual and explaining to them why we need their participation, why we need their help. I mean, if you 
if you push it back to, you know, your job is to do this and protect this data. If you don't, and the data is, is compromised, then the organization loses revenue. So it's going to impact our stock price if you're publicly traded, or it's going to impact our brand and people are going to stop wanting to come here. And then unfortunately, you know, when we start looking to reduce staff, um, you know, they're just positions in the organization that we'll have to uh, remove first. So um, it's, it's that fine line or balance into, into trying to get that individual to understand the importance of their role in the cyber and cybersecurity posture. All right. So since this was a question we were supposed to answer you anyway, thank you so much, Don. You answered partially, but I'd like to dig deeper into it. So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and let's see who else besides the CISO should join hands in getting these people across the board to step up and play a responsible employee of the company and help in case of a major cyber event. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. So, uh, Don, you mentioned about motivating people by giving them a bigger picture, perhaps tell what's at stake, etc. But then... What other tangible on the ground things we can do, whether from hiring practices to policies to governance structure to something which you know works versus saying we tried, we like predicted weather, guess what? It did not work. That was not going to fly in this case. Yeah, uh, just thinking about this over the break. I mean, they're really, and I'm just going to go back maybe to go to go forward here. There really needs to be a top-down approach to the seriousness of, of, of you know, what it is that you're trying to um, get accomplished. So, you know, if you're a company with a board, you know, there, maybe there needs to be memos or emails from the board saying, you know, that we're invested in this and, and we need this to happen. CEO has to be at the top of the, you know, the, the out in front of the cheering saying we need everybody to be part of this and then just, you know, follow on down the, that you're, proverbial chain of command from there. But you're absolutely right. Policies, procedures, all of those things need to be in place, um, you know, combined with training and and um, in order for the organization to be successful. So let's talk technology. So you did mention a few technologies uh, that are there which will help you in major cyber events. If you were to keep the specific you know, brands aside for the technology tools, what would you say would be a good core stack mm. that an organization must have and have their people be ready to use them to best handle the major cyber events that could happen? Right. So at the middle of that, and uh, I've, I've done this in a number of organizations, this is kind of how I build out 
the cybersecurity architecture. You start in the middle with a SIM tool, right? So you need something that can aggregate all of the log files, all of the events that are happening in your environment, and one particular capability to say that um, if these events happen, then I need to know about it so that I can then alert either the network team or you know the security team or the database team or somebody. So SIM tool has to has to be number one. Um, then as you move out from there, you start looking at the different components of your of your of your infrastructure. So how do I protect my servers, both from a, um, not letting malicious fi- uh, files run on it or applications run on it to, um, you know, what kind of antivirus and malware on there, all the way to the, 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 the laptop or the mobile device or what have you. Um, how am I going to make sure that that mobile device is patched properly, has the antiviruses on it, you know, has all the, the things that the organization needs in order to protect it. Um, then you start moving out to your cloud environment and uh, you know, how are we communicating the cloud? What security do we have in place in the cloud? Um, you start looking at your identity access management stack and, um, you know, do you have the differentiations between uh, privileged access uh, and, and just, you know, do you have multi-factor authentication in there? Um, in order to, to challenge people. Um, move on around, you definitely have to have some, some next generation firewall equipment in there to help you um, with uh, some of the DDoS attacks you might get made or, or stopping things from the perimeter. You need to look at technologies like geofencing. Um, you know, this application can only run you know, from this one particular location, no place else, or these people outside this IP address can't talk to us. So. There's a whole host of um, technologies. And then on your development side is how do you put cybersecurity inside of the development process? So, you know, you're starting to hear terms like DevOps and SecDevOps and, or DevSecOps and, and, and shifting left from, um, you know, where security is typically applied and putting it in the, in the build process. Um, automating uh, a lot of provisioning of servers and and um, tools that that developers will need or infrastructure will need so that you can take the human um, mistakes out of the uh, the creating applications. I'm sorry, infrastructure is going to be needed for applications to sit on. Once again, thank you so much, Don, for sharing your insights and how organizations can prepare for major cyber events. Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed, got some nuggets. Maybe you'll be better prepared for the major cyber events, which we hope not happen, but if they do, you'll know what to do now. Please connect us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Pinterest, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as wherever all major channels are available where you can go and listen to the podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is Sanjog All, your host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.